Verse number one. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings thou shalt trust. His truths shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Now remember, he's going to change voices here. This, that was the psalmist speaking up to that point. Now it's the Lord. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath, made, he hath, no, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Verse, the first 13 verses is the psalmist's personal testimony. This is what the Lord will do. I want to tell you about the Lord. And I trust that as you read through that, your heart was warmed as you thought about what the Lord has done in your life, the personal testimony that you could give as the psalmist was giving that. But this morning, that's not going to be our focus. We want to focus not on the psalmist's testimony, but on the promises made in verses 14 through 16. And we'll entitle the message, A Father's Promises. A Father's Promises. Let's pray. Father, we worship at your feet recognizing our inability to understand your word if you don't teach it to us. We do not know what would hinder the spirit in our midst, but we refuse any of that at this moment, for we want your spirit to have full course in our hearts and in our lives and in this auditorium. We ask that the work that is necessary in each heart and each life be done. Lord, that's such a variety of work that needs to be done here this morning, but we trust your spirit to do it for the glory and the honor of our Savior. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A Father's Promise. Today's Father's Day. I don't mind telling you, it's a holiday that I have mixed emotions about. Let me state off, first off, I am super glad to be a father. 
I cannot think of anything that gives me greater pleasure. There's only two things in life that give me greater pleasure than being a father. One is being a child of God. That's A number one on my list. Number two is being a husband. But high up on the list, number three on the list is being a dad. I absolutely love being a dad. It's the joy of my life. But I have mixed emotions about Father's Day. I think I told you when I, a while back when the kids were just little. I think Heidi was just real little and Daniel was even littler. And I don't know if the other girls were even born yet. For Father's Day, I got a T-shirt that said, World's Greatest Dad. You know, obviously, the kids were too little to go to the store and buy this thing, but I got this T-shirt that said, World's Greatest Dad. I've never gotten one since. (laughs) That's what makes you worry, okay? But the fact of the matter is, I was afraid to wear it for fear of getting sued for false advertising. (laughs) Father's Day comes up, and I love being a father. I love every part of it. But I don't know about you, but when the day rolls around, it's wonderful to have kids. It's a great joy of my life. But I'm at the same time reminded of all of the mistakes, all of the failures, all of the missed opportunities, all the unreached plans, all of the unfulfilled promises, It kind of tempers the holiday for me, if you know what I'm talking about. But with God, none of that is true. Because when God makes a promise, when God deals with his children, he has no regrets. He has no mixed emotions. All of it is exactly as it ought to be. In in those three verses that we read at the end here, God makes promises. Promises that he always has always completely, entirely kept to the fullest possible way. And this morning, I'd like to reflect on those seven, he makes seven definite promises in those three verses. And I'd like to briefly consider those, the promises that our Father has made, and I'd like to rejoice in them this morning. Let's read the verses very quickly here, and then we'll review them. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and will honor and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. When we dwell in the heart of God, when we dwell in his love, he has seven promises for us here. Number one, I promise to deliver. He promises to deliver. You know, kids have a habit of getting themselves into difficulties. If you have kids, you know this. If you were a kid, you know this. Their troubles are many and varied. They accidentally miss the school bus. They forget their lunchbox or their school project. They climb up somewhere and get stuck and can't get back down. Or they climb up somewhere and they fall. I can remember Daniel climbed, he and Heidi were out there in our woods in the back climbing a tree. And they shinnied up this thing, and I don't know what they were doing up there, but eventually Daniel lost his hold, and he slid down this tree. 
holding it like this, he slid down the tree. He had, I think, if my memory's correct, he had to crawl to the house because he was in such bad shape. He came in the house. He was blood from head to toe. It's what kids do. They get themselves into difficulties. I don't know if you ever look at pictures of old houses, but if you look at pictures of old houses, the banister, the stair railings are way far apart. Now, the inspector comes with a ball. Is it three inches, John, or four? A four-inch ball. He has a four-inch ball, and if he can stick that through anywhere in your stair banister, your, your railings, your house will not pass. Why? Because kids stick their head through there and get it stuck. And so it happens so often, they made code. Now you cannot have your stair rails that far apart. Why? Because kids get themselves into trouble. Now ask yourself, how often have you gotten yourself into trouble? Into difficulty? Whether by accident or by stupidity, we find ourselves stuck hurt, or unable to cope with the thing that we've got ourselves into. And your father says, I will deliver. The problem you're facing right now at this moment, you got your head stuck someplace. You're bleeding profusely from wounds of your own stupidity. The father says, I will deliver. Put your heart in my heart. I will deliver. A promise from your father. I will deliver. Second promise he makes is, I will set him on high. I will set him on high. Sometimes we hear things and it kind of makes sense and we just pass it off as, okay, I actually, and we never actually, we acknowledge it without ever actually thinking it through. So let's see what does he mean. What does he mean by this? What does it mean to childproof a house? Think in your mind, what does it mean to childproof a house? When we were building the prophet's chamber downstairs, I wrote the missionaries and said, hey, tell me the, I don't know anything about prophet's chambers, tell me what a prophet's chamber should be like, tell me all the good, the bad, and the ugly on it. So we got a lot of responses when we were building the prophet's chamber. One of the responses that we got was, you know all those knick-knack things are really cute? But we have kids. And we spend the entire time worried that they're going to break something. And so the knickknacks, if you can leave those out, we're a lot better off. Those fragile little things that make the place look nice, leave them out because we don't want our kids to break them. Now, if you have kids, if you had kids when they were little, how did you childproof the house? You moved everything breakable to high ground, out of reach of those little mitts, it's how fast they can get to that stuff and how quickly they break it. Why? Because they're rough, they don't understand, and things get broken. So if you go into a house of people who've had kids for a while, you'll notice there's nothing breakable on the lower levels or all that stuff's been removed and put into, into the closet someplace. Why? Because it's at risk, and so you set it on high. Now that gets you a picture of what God is talking about here. Let's be realistic. All of us want to think that we're all pretty tough and pretty able to handle everything and all that. 
But when you get right down to brass tacks, we're all pretty fragile. We all have a lot of vulnerable spots. And haven't you found out that the world plays pretty rough? The world and the flesh and the devil gets in there and plays pretty rough. If you don't believe that, look around you. Aren't there a lot of broken people? Unbelievable. Why? Because the world plays rough. God says, I'll deliver you, but I'm going to set you on high. Out of reach of the world, the flesh, and the devil. So they can't wreck their havoc on you. I'm going to set you on high. Isn't that a nice promise? Out of reach. Where only, only by his permission can they handle. Do you remember when your grandma used to give you permission to handle the, the valuables? And how carefully she watched out over you that you didn't break her knickknacks? And that's what God does. He says, they valuable. And so anytime he lets the devil have a chance at you, he's watching. Make sure that nothing happens to you that's not the way it should be. He says, I am going to set you on high, out of reach. He does these for those who know his name. Is what it says. I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. Now, don't be foolish here. God has a lot of names. In fact, there's a poster out that must have a 50 or 100 names of God on it, and there's more than what's on that poster. And if you could memorize that list, does that make you qualify? I don't think so, just because you can spout off all the different names. What this really means, when the Bible, a name in the Bible refers to who someone really is, what they're really like, how they truly act. And he says, when those who really know who I am, who really know God, they find themselves in a very safe spot. They are set on high. I'll deliver, I'll set on high. Verse number three, sorry, point number three, promise number three. I will answer their call. I will answer their call. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. He will, I will answer their call. Do you remember back in the day when the phone rang and you answered it every time? <laughs> the young people said, what? Who would do that? Back in the day, when the phone rang, you didn't know who it was. And so you had to answer it because it might be important. How many answer the phone that way today? On your cell phone? Oh, okay. <laughs> she still has a party line. <laughs> I'm going to get attached to that so I can hear what she's saying. How many of you know what a party line is? <laughs> Back in the day. When someone would call, there was different rings, and you picked it up on your ring, but everybody else could listen to your conversation the entire time, kind of like they're doing today with your iPhone. And that's a whole different story. <laughs> we all have party lines now. <laughs> I hope they're not listening to the <laughs> yeah, big brother in their real form. Anyway, that's a whole nother story. Now what you do is you, pop the, you flip it over when it rings and a number comes up. If it's just numbers, I 
almost never, unless I'm expecting a call from somebody I don't know, I never answer those. Why? Because there's too many people who are really worried about my car insurance, my car warranty. <laughs> and I'm not <laughs> worried about that. And so I just let those people, if they really know who I am and they really want me, they'll leave a message and I'll call them right back. Sometimes you flip it over and it's somebody that you just don't have time to handle that right now. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else do this? Okay, you let it go to voicemail because you just don't quite have time at this moment for that. But I'll tell you one thing. When I flip it over and it's one of my kids, I almost every single time answer that. You know, if it's Carol's phone, because she leaves her phone next to me a lot of times, if it rings and the kids are calling Carol, I hardly ever answer that. Because they, they call her 100 times a day to talk about nothing. <laughs> but when they call my phone, what does that mean? <laughs> that's when I hang up on them <laughs> what they want when, when they call my phone they always need something they always want something they, they need an answer to a problem they've got a situation they may be in trouble when they, they call Carol's phone they're talking about anything when they call my phone it, almost invariably they want something they need something and when I see it's one, it's one of my kids I'm going to answer that phone why? They're not some telemarketer. They're not somebody just bothering me. They are my kids. And God says, when they call, I'm going to answer. I'm not letting them go to voicemail. I'm not checking them out with caller ID and ah, I don't have time for you right now. When you, when you talk to the Lord, when you call on him, he says, I will answer their call. I'm not going to ignore the call. I'm not going to send it to voicemail. I'm going to give them the best answer. I will meet the need in the best way possible. My children can count on me. I will answer the call. Promise number four, I will be with him in trouble. I will be with him in trouble. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. A misconception that many people have is that a Christian shouldn't have any trouble. The health and wealth prosperity preachers propagate this nonsense, but the fact of the matter is we live in a sin-cursed planet. We're surrounded by evil. Everywhere we look, the evil is there and trying to destroy us. Thinking you can live on earth without trouble would be trying to walk through a hog lot a mud wallow in a white suit and expect to be perfectly clean on the other side. It's just not going to happen. You cannot live in a sin-cursed world and not experience any trouble. It's just not possible. God doesn't promise us no trouble. That joy is reserved for heaven. We won't have any trouble there. But he does give us the next best thing. He says, I will be with you in trouble. Isn't that a huge comfort? Let's see if we can get a hold of this. When I, was, when I went off to college, I was 17 years old, headed off for college. Dad took me to Sears and bought me a large set of Craftsman wrenches. He handed me the, the uh, repair manual for my Volkswagen Rabbit diesel. 
Dad had a lot of experience with Volkswagen Rabbits. That's why he got me the tools and the repair manual. <laughs> Those two <laughs> rabbits and repairs go hand in hand. It's just, <laughs> just part of the deal. Now, I had my tools. I'm very thankful for that. In fact, I use the tools almost probably every other day. I use the tools still that Dad got me. I, I still use those. Thank the Lord the repair manual and the rabbit are gone, okay, and will stay gone. They park next to the Yugos is what I figure. You know, the, the tools and the repair manual were all a good thing, but there were difficulties. I won't explain all the ins and outs of how I poured a quart of transmission fluid into the timing hole on that thing, which goes right onto the clutch plates, if that tells you anything. There were some difficulties. What, what I'm trying to say is it would have been a lot better if there would have been a mechanic sitting on top of the tools as opposed to the repair manual. Do you see how it would have been a lot better <laughs> if a mechanic had just packed him in along with me? Because the Volkswagen had trouble, and it continually had trouble, and I wasn't the smartest at fixing these things. See who it is? No. <laughs> it's one of my kids. Hang up. They want money. <laughs> They're watching the live stream, those dirty rats. <laughs> but if there was a, <laughs> a mechanic riding along with would have been a much better deal, do you understand, than just having the repair manual. When I got to college, I got there and they said, hey, we need, we are, they ran, they brought kids from Chicago for Sunday school. And they said, we need help in that ministry. So on a Saturday, I jumped in the vehicle with this guy and went to Chicago. To, I was going to help him in get, call, invite these kids to Sunday school. And this guy says, when I got there, he pulled into this area. Now, this is inner city Chicago, by the way. He says, now, there's four streets. And he lists off these four streets. He goes, those are your boundaries. He says, you go knocking on all those doors, and I'll come back in two hours. Now, you've got to understand, I grew up in Runnels. The toughest thing I'd ever seen was a fist fight between eighth graders at, the, at a Christian school. All right, that was tough. And he says, you, can, you get out here, here's the four boundaries. And I looked at that guy and I said, you're crazy. I said, I have no idea where I'm at. I have no idea how to get back home. I am not getting out of this vehicle without you. I said, I'll go anywhere you want to go. But I am not getting out of here by my, getting out by myself. I'm not going to get into trouble on my own here. You, I think you can understand that. Let me ask you this. When did you quit letting your mom go into the doctor's office with you? Your mom says, I'll just sit in the waiting room. And you, you can go on back. No, Mom, you got to go back there. Son, you're 25 years old. <laughs> How many know what I'm talking about? No, you liars, you liars. You know what I'm talking about. It don't matter how old you got. You, when you're getting in trouble, when you're not sure, you want somebody with you, right? Somebody who you put in a higher rank than you. Somebody who's got a little more pull, a little more knowledge, a little more something than you, when you're in trouble, you want that person with you. 
the Lord says, I will be with you in trouble. You're not going to go through this on your own. He's not just going to give you a map and say, here's your boundaries, find your way home. He's not going to give you the manual and say, hey, just fix your car, when it, get, fix your problem, and you got the manual, you ought to be able to take care of that. He's not going to just let you go. You're going to have trouble, there's no doubt about it. But he says, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And I've already promised to, de to deliver you when you're all said and done. I've already promised to deliver you. It's a promise from your father, I will deliver you. Promise number five, I will honor you. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. I will honor you. You know what's built into us to want the approval of our parents, especially our fathers? You know, if you're playing ball, the whole crowd might be cheering the play that you've just made, but a kid will look to see what his dad's reaction is. A teacher can tell you all, she should tell you over and over again how proud she is of what, the work that you're doing, but what you really want to know is what your folks think. You want to hear your dad say, that was a good job, attaboy, son. You may say something funny and everybody's laughing, but that frown on your dad's face outweighs everything else. You know, your father looks down on you. He knows you're made out of dust. He knows that you're weak and frail. He knows that at your best, you are an unprofitable servant. He knows that he has to provide everything for you. And yet, when you look up and see his smiling face, he's constantly displaying love to you. He's proud of you. Not because of what you've accomplished, but because you're his. He calls you his child. He holds us up in honor. He loves us and calls us his children. Number six, I will give you long life. With long life will I satisfy him. I will give you long life. I read a commentator on this, and I think he hit this thing right on the head. Ask yourself, how long is a long life? 10 years, 25 years, 40 years. I tell you, long life is all relative. When you're 10 years old, somebody who's 35, man, they're way old. When you get to be 35, you know, 55 doesn't seem that old. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the older you get, that long life number just keeps getting longer and longer. Like, okay, 112 would be pretty long life. What is a long life? When you try to think that through, the commentator said this. A long life is a life long enough to accomplish all that the Lord wants to do in and through you. What a great statement. A long life is a life that is long enough to accomplish all that the Lord wants to do in and through you. What you'll find in the old saints they had no desire to stick around here except to do the work that God had for them to do. 
problem that we have is we take our sights off of heaven. We fix our eyes on our own goals and dreams, things that are not ordained by God. It's no wonder that we cling to this planet with both hands because we have got our, our thoughts here. But let me ask you, do you want to live on this planet one second longer than the Lord has plans for you? Do you have all of these other ideas that you want? When his work is done, what do you plan on doing? That's a good question, isn't it? When the Lord's work is done in your life, when he's going to accomplish all through you that he's going to accomplish, what do you plan on doing here? Now, to desire to stick around after that is foolishness. You don't want to be like King Hezekiah who says, man, I need to live a few more years here. And the Lord lets him. And he, in those years that he got, extra years he got, he undoes almost everything that he did in his lifetime. Now, we wouldn't, shouldn't want to leave one second early. While God still has work for us to do and to do in us and through us, we, wanting to leave is not right. But when we live in his heart, our lives will be exactly as long as they should be. And that is life long enough. That is a long life. A life that's long enough to accomplish everything that God wants to do in and to and through you. He says, I will give a long life. And number seven, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Point seven, promise seven, I will show him my salvation. Now there's a lot that we could say about this. And it can be taken really two ways. Let me ask you, how many times have you not seen the salvation of the Lord that's already been described in the first six promises? You've seen the Lord provide. You've seen him answer your prayers. You've seen him protect you, set you up out of reach of evil. You have seen him do all these things. We have experienced much already of his salvation. The trouble that you were in, he has saved you time and time and time again. The stupid things that you did, the difficulties you found yourself in, we find the Lord saving us over and over and over again. That's one way to take it. We rejoice in that. But we, when we talk about salvation in church, generally we're talking about our eternal salvation. Now, this is the reality. Most of us, our original reason to come to God was for eternal salvation. We didn't come to him for protection. We didn't come to him for all of these different things, all the benefits that we get by being the Lord's children. We didn't come to him for that. We knew that we were on our way to hell. And we did not want that to happen to us. And we needed that eternal salvation. Now, in a real sense, have you reaped, have you seen any of that yet? Have you seen what you originally came to the Lord for? No, because you haven't died yet. You haven't seen eternal salvation. But my friend, you're going to. 
If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, he says, I will show you my salvation. Now, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm standing here. My mind isn't working that good. But as sure as I am standing here, more sure than I'm standing here, I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Why? Not because I'm a good person, not because I'm a pastor of a church, not because I've done. I am a sinner that the grace of God saved because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And I am totally sure I'll be in heaven. Why? Because God the Father raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And when he did that, he was ruling on my case. For Christ died for my sin. And when Jesus Christ was rose, rose from the dead, my case was settled. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ a long time ago. And I haven't seen, I've seen a lot of benefits from becoming one of his children, but I haven't seen my eternal salvation. But in a not too distant future here, I will see it. I will see the salvation of the Lord. I will dwell in his house forever. We have promises from our Father. Are you living in his love? Are you living in those promises? Let's pray.